electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Dom. Hi, everybody. Markets are breaking a four-day win streak for a slew of reasons today, but primarily because of Facebook's big earnings miss. The stock having its worst day ever. The other social media names also getting hammered snaps down 20%. TikTok, Apple's privacy changes, even the reopening, all having an effect. And Instagram, once a driver for the company, now somewhat of a drag. Plus, plenty of nervousness about tomorrow's big jobs report. Will we show gains at all? With plenty on the street bracing for big declines as Omicron spread, we'll get an inside look at the jobs market, and we'll look ahead to the next big earnings reports, namely Amazon, after the bell today. The stock currently down about 6% in trading today. We'll also preview Snap and Ford. But we start with the sell-off. The Nasdaq, like Dom just told you about, pretty much at session lows. We're down 377, 380 points right now. A 2.6% decline, and we've had almost, what is it, 18 hours to digest what Facebook just told us, not seeing any uh, letting up in the selling pressure here. The Dow down 330. The S&P, by the way, down 78 points. Let's get to Bob Pisani for more. He's down at the NYSE. Bob? And Kelly, not only we're we not getting a bounce at the Nasdaq uh, at session lows, we're not getting a bounce on the S&P or the Dow. So this is the tyranny of the big cap names. Just yesterday, Alphabet helped the S&P look better uh, because their numbers were better. And today, because of what we're seeing here in Meta, it is weighing not only on the Nasdaq, but the S&P. So the S&P is notably underperforming the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, as you can see here. As for the big tech names, uh, Facebook is trading 10 times its normal volume. So a lot of people are making decisions on how they want to own Facebook. Amazon ahead of the earnings all over the place today. Amazon was uh, 3100 at the open. Look at this. It's, it's, as you see here, it's 2800 right now. That's a big, big move on an intraday basis. Salesforce is weighing on the Dow. And that's not far from a 52-week low, not quite. PayPal been at a new low, just a disastrous week uh, on the earnings. Uh, Industrials, um, supply chain inflation is not going away. I know we're all obsessed with Meta, but look what happened to Honeywell uh, and Cummins. Good news here, demand strong all over the world, China possible exception. However, still seeing the impact of higher prices. They're able to raise prices, but in some cases, not completely. So there's a little bit of margin erosions in some cases. Uh, Cummins and uh, uh, Honeywell did give a little bit lower guidance. Honeywell's down here. Cummins has recovered a little bit. Illinois Tool Works, though, uh, citing the same issues, but they did not change their guidance at all. It's essentially their guidance is in line with the expectations. They gave it just today for the first time, and that actually is bouncing. So it's really the guidance that actually matters. So we're about halfway through the earnings season, 260 companies out of the S&P 500 reporting. Here's what we see uh, so far. Revenues are titanic. There are oceans of money coming into corporate America. Three and a half trillion dollars we're talking about top line revenues. That's why dividends are going up. Buybacks are going to be at record highs. 
just enormous amounts of money. The profit margins are a little bit lower, 12.7%. Uh, these are operating profits. 13% was where we were at this time last year, so a little bit better, but many corporations still have pricing power. One thing very noticeable, the earnings beats are very small now. They're about 4% so far. That's about in line with the historical average. We were beating by 10, 15, even 20% last year. That's not happening. And the most important thing, Kelly, is the 2022 estimates, they're not getting raised much at all. Remember last Last year, Kelly, we saw the every month dramatic increase in the estimates. That's not happening. So we're going to have to have something happen with an expansion of the multiple to get prices up. Kelly, good back to point. you. Very good point, Bob. Thank you, our Bob Bassani. So let's talk about what's going on with online and social media advertising in particular. Taking the example of Meta, which raked in only $32 billion in advertising last quarter, up 20% year over year, but it wasn't enough. CEO Sheryl Sandberg highlighting three key problems weighing on ad revenue. E-commerce demand slowing from 2020, Apple's iOS changes making it harder to target ads, even inflation and supply chain problems affecting consumers. So is the worst over now, or how long? long could all of these problems continue? Aaron Kessler, senior internet analyst at Raymond James, just downgraded Meta from strong buy to outperform with a lower $340 price target. He joins me now along with Mark Douglas, CEO of ad platform Mountain. It's great to have you guys both here. Aaron, I'll start with you. How long could these challenging e-commerce trends continue? Yeah, so e-commerce obviously got a big boost early on during the pandemic. Um, you're going to see tough comps throughout Q1 of 22 here. But then we should start to see e-commerce trends improve kind of starting in Q2. So tough comps for another quarter. Um, and Facebook also noted you should see each, uh, kind of comps start to ease for them in the second half of the year from IDFA. So optimistic, we'll see kind of the trough revenue growth for Facebook or Meta in Q2 and then start to see some reacceleration beyond that. Mark, is the problem quite simply that TikTok has been really successful and this is the first quarter that effect is really showing up everywhere? Well, I think obviously there's a lot more users on TikTok and it's growing very, very quickly. But I don't think the average social media user has abandoned Instagram. And so I think Facebook is getting some competition, but there are deeper issues than just you know facing competition from TikTok. Let's, let's talk about the Instagram issues, Mark, because basically in order to um, compete with TikTok, they have pushed people and launched reels. And, they, you know, I see it all the time myself. They're, they're all over the place, but they're not monetized as heavily as posts and stories. Do you think Facebook can quickly catch up and change that? Well, they can monetize them. But the thing to keep in mind, Facebook doesn't sell ads. They sell traffic. The ads are just the means to get that consumer to go to the brand that's doing the advertising. And so a big thing that hasn't been discussed is the quality of Facebook's data is declining. Um, when you leave Facebook, when, when as Facebook engagement just has gone off a cliff off the last few years, you just don't get as much data about a consumer on Instagram. So that's been affecting the business. I think it's starting to catch up. And then so without the data, they can't deliver the performance. Without the performance, the ad dollars go away. That is the data. The loss of quality of data, I think, is a real underlying issue here. Aaron, you want to add to that? Yeah, no, we would agree with Mark there. I mean, the IDFA has been a headwind. I think they're still trying to figure out, get some of those signals back that they lost over the last six months. And that has been probably the biggest factor. You know, we've heard some from agencies. You're seeing some dollar shift. Uh, Facebook called out, made some dollar shifted to Google during the quarter. We think 
uh, we, we heard that as well. So it is a near-term issue. Um, we're optimistic that they can close some of that gap of the signal that they have lost. Um, but that has been an increasing challenge for um, Facebook over the last couple quarters here. Yeah, sure. And it also, I mean, in a way, Mark Zuckerberg told us this was all coming. I don't think he would have gone out and changed the name to Meta if it wasn't clear that the core business was in decline. So he kind of signaled by doing all of this that this was coming and now it's here. So I actually use one of their products more than ever, Aaron. The problem is it's WhatsApp. How much can they or should they or will they ever monetize that? Yeah, no, I think that's a big question we get from investors. Um, I think you're still early. They've talked a lot about business messaging on WhatsApp. At some point, we do think they'll get much more aggressive on rolling out more traditional forms of advertising, whether it's kind of reels or other uh, stories types of ads on WhatsApp as well. So they paid $20 billion for WhatsApp. I think there's an investor expectation they start to monetize that much more over the next couple of years. And the other thing is, uh, I think investors have been a little bit more negative on the reality lab, just the amount of spend, the $10 billion of losses per year. Um, it's a good, nice project, but uh, I think investors <laughs> could do without that scale of losses right now. Mark, would you want to just add a parting comment? You know, with all the clients that you speak to, a lot of these companies who are looking to spread ad budgets around, figuring out what mix wants to be on TV versus on a platform like Facebook's and all the rest of it. I mean, have you picked up on any kind of significant shift lately? Or, or what, are you, what are you hearing from the client's perspective? I mean, the main thing you're hearing is that Facebook prices are going up, meaning the price, the CPMs that customers are paying are going up. And as a result of that and other issues like quality of data, their performance is going down. And these advertisers move budget very, very quickly. If they're not getting the return that their business needs, literally the next day, they will start shifting budget away from Facebook to other platforms. Wow. And that, I think that's exactly what's happening over the course of the last year. So they raised prices maybe at exactly the wrong time. That's very, very interesting. Guys, thanks. We'll leave it there for yeah. now. We appreciate it. Mark Douglas with Mountain and Aaron Kessler covering Facebook for Raymond James. Let's turn now to Washington, where President Biden's Federal Reserve nominees are in the hot seat. The Senate Committee on Banking holding a hearing today on the nominations of Sarah Bloom Raskin, Lisa Cook and Philip Jefferson. Beyond the economy and managing risk, the Fed's role on climate change has been a hot topic. Here's Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. If we move aggressively to limit energy production, but other countries don't, global warming probably won't significantly slow. Should we do it anyway? How much reduction in global warming should we get for the pain we would put the American people through? Let me be clear. This isn't about whether one believes that addressing global warming is important or how you would answer either of those or any other questions that are related. The point is these are difficult choices which must be made by accountable representatives through a transparent and deliberative legislative process. Well, joining me now is Senator Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland. I think Bloom Raskin is one of his constituents. Uh, he sits on that committee, has been involved in the questioning, and joins me now. Senator, welcome. Kelly, it's good to be with you. So I, I would assume you're a little bit on the other side of the aisle here. Maybe your concerns about climate change aren't quite as strong as Senator Toomey's. Do you share, though, any broader concern about policy drift here? Uh, I do not. And, and that's because uh, I've seen Sarah Bloom Raskin in action. Uh, and most of the questions on climate change were directed to her. Uh, she was the chief banking regulator in the state of Maryland uh, during the financial meltdown. And she got rave reviews from our community banks uh, who are calling me now to say they strongly support her. And I would remind everybody that she was unanimously confirmed by Republicans and Democrats uh, for her previous position on, on the 
board of uh, the board of governors of the Federal Reserve, and unanimously confirmed for as secret, deputy secretary of treasury. So, uh, I do not share the concerns that have been expressed uh, by Senator Toomey. Remind me procedurally, for all of these nominees, these are Biden's nominees. They would have the full support, obviously, of uh, the Democrats who are in this process. But do you have the threshold of votes necessary to approve all of them, or would you need some Republican support? Well, we would like to get some Republican support, and we're talking to our Republican colleagues. Uh, and I, I'm confident that some of these uh, nominees uh, to the Federal Reserve will have bipartisan support. Uh, but the answer to your question is, at the end of the day, uh, if Republicans uh, do not support these nominations, we can get them passed uh, with Democratic votes uh, under our current rules. Okay, so let's zero out for a, uh, zoom out for a moment. What would you say your current concerns are with the Fed? Do you think that they need to be more aggressive in fighting inflation right now, or are you worried that they might be doing too much? Well, I support the, 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 the actions being taken and the message being sent by uh, the nominee to be chairman once again, uh, Powell, uh, where he underlined the importance of the dual mandate for the Fed, full employment uh, and price stability. And I'm confident that both he and these nominees have confirmed uh, will abide by those two mandates. Do you think inflation is a problem that the Fed needs to be fighting or can it, is it something that the administration needs to be tackling or, or do you think it's going to kind of be a passing fad here? Well, I think the biggest issue with respect to uh, price increases has been supply change, ch chain disruptions. Uh, and we're seeing some improvement uh, on, on that front, but we continue to work that piece of it. Uh, and so I, I think as that part of this problem uh, and price squeezes challenge, for example, the shortage in, in semiconductor chips uh, leading to higher prices for cars. Those sorts of things, I think, are the primary drivers that we need to continue to deal with. And I will say another piece of legislation that we're working on would go a long way toward addressing some of those supply chain issues. And I, I guess if I could put it differently, would you agree that your concern is more that the Fed could be too aggressive in responding to inflation because you think the problem will work itself out? I, I think there's a risk that they could be overly aggressive, but I, I do think it's something that the Fed needs to continue to monitor carefully. And I do support the statements that have been made by the current chairman and uh, Powell. And uh, and he was asked about this uh, at his hearing, and I appreciated his answers. Any final concern that you had uh, that you heard today, or do you... I, I suppose I'm just assuming you broadly support all three of these candidates and kind of think they can do no wrong. <laughs> well, look, I had a chance to review their their backgrounds and had, have discussions uh, with them. And so I do believe that they will adhere to you know the mandate of the, the Fed um, and their responsibilities. So, of, of course, we all have questions about um, how people will perform, but they've certainly answered the question satisfactorily to my mind. One final question for you, which we're sort of asking everyone these days, but to my knowledge, you don't actually own individual stocks, or you certainly haven't traded in them lately to speak of. Is that a philosophical thing, <laughs> or would you have any reason not to support a potential bill that would outlaw members of Congress from trading and to some extent even owning stocks? So I, I support the legislation. Uh, there, there are numerous bills that have been introduced on uh, preventing members from uh, owning and trading in stocks. And so I 
I support that legislation. Um, I haven't decided which of them or to, to co-sponsor. I'll be looking at them uh, and, and making that decision shortly. But you're right. No, I do not currently own any stocks. Um, I decided years ago uh, to uh, divest of the small holdings uh, that I did have. Um, and uh, I, I think it's just um, cleaner uh, that way. Uh, and as a result, doesn't raise you know questions uh, from the public as to uh, intentions on any piece of legislation. Well said. Senator, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thanks. Senator Chris Van Hollen from Maryland. Still ahead, it wasn't just tech stocks. Demand for IT jobs also took a hit last month. Up next, we'll reveal the new number one sector and other details that can tell us what's really going on with the labor market. Plus, can Ford's hot streak continue after its best year since 2009? Are expectations low enough for Amazon with EPS coming expected to drop 70% from last year? And will earnings help snap snap out of its six-week losing streak? We'll get you the action, the story, and the trade in earnings exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. The tech sell-off last month being echoed in the labor market. New data from Recruiter.com showing demand for IT workers sliding from the top spot to fourth in January, while recruiters looked for more architecture and engineering roles. Meanwhile, the war for talent does continue, but there are signs that wages are starting to level off. Joining me now with more is Evan Sohn, chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. Evan, a lot of changes in the labor market last month. Why? Um, you know, I, I think the sentiment is down uh, from three, uh, three seven to three six, uh, which was uh, pretty surprising that it came down. Um, and you saw the the IT numbers drop from the number one spot, which was really held for a long time, uh, down to uh, the number four spot. You know, it didn't fall off completely, uh, but I think, as you said, the war for talent is on. Um, and as people could, as the remote workers are now, the remote jobs are increasing month after month. I, we saw a 60% increase in remote remote jobs uh, since September. Uh, a lot of those are the IT jobs. And so you're seeing wage increases across the board there. So if you're fighting for talent and you're seeing more people apply for different jobs, uh, it's really gonna affect the overall workload. We also saw the recruiters, the workload that they were working on is now 14 jobs. Uh, that's the uh, down from uh, 18 where it was a year ago. So they're working on fewer jobs because it's harder and harder and harder to fill those jobs. 
So if we see, we saw in the ADP yesterday a drop of about, I think, 300,000 jobs for the month. If the payrolls number, a lot of people tomorrow morning think could be minus 200 or something in that range. If we came to you and said why, would it be Omicron or what do you think is we should attribute those to? Well, you know, I, look, the great resignation is still here. Uh, we, we predict it'll still be here through the summer. Um, millions of people quit their jobs in December. You know, who quits in December? Uh, the answer was millions of people actually quit in December. 900,000 pe more people quit this past December than they did a year ago December. Um, and so those jobs need to be filled. Uh, we saw the backfill number. Those are the vacant jobs that le uh, created va vacant by someone actually leaving. Uh, that, ac that number actually surpassed uh, the new job creation for the month. So the backfills versus new jobs. And whenever we see that happen, we really see that being pressure on these new jobs being filled. Because if you're a recruiter at a company, you're in the talent acquisition, you're first going to fill the jobs left vacant by someone actually quitting or leaving or, or you know, the turnover. I almost wonder if there's two things going on here. One is that in some ways the labor market is slowing its gains because, to your point, there's a lot of jobs that need to be backfilled. People are overwhelmed, but it's, it's still sort of underlying strength. And yet at the same time, Omicron sort of ahead. I mean, the jobless claims don't show any sign that this is a persistent headwind, that there's a, a problematic slowing of the labor market. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Kelly. I, I think part of the challenge is, and, and the, re, the reason we're calling it a war for talent, is everyone is now more valuable than they were two years ago. Uh, first of all, there's wage increases across the board, and we saw recruiters working on even the the work collar roles now because everyone is more everyone is more valuable, and those high tech talent are actually more are even more valuable. So we're seeing salaries increases, we're seeing wage increases in those areas, and so that's really creating this pressure on the actual labor market itself. Very, very interesting. I can't wait to see uh, the details tomorrow. It's changing rapidly before our eyes. Evan, great to have you here. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kelly. Evan Stone with Recruiter.com. And still ahead, new numbers are putting the record amount of housing wealth into perspective. It's good news for sellers and homeowners, but not so much for first-time buyers. We have the details ahead. And nearly a year after a deadly winter storm left more than 10 million Texans without power, the state's bracing for another round of rough weather. And this time, the grid is getting some unexpected help from Bitcoin miners. We'll explain when we come back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Welcome back, everybody. As we move through the afternoon, we're still seeing the index's near session lows. We're about 50 points off of those lows for the Dow and for the Nasdaq. Dow's down 308, Nasdaq down 348 or 2.4%. Here are some of the other movers besides Meta and all the social names that we're keeping an eye on this hour. Some of the alt energy stocks are getting crushed and giving back those gains we saw earlier this week. Sunrun, Chargepoint, both still down 70% from their recent highs. Sunrun's down 8% today. T-Mobile is having its best day since November 2020 after beating earnings estimates and giving better than expected guidance. This one's been a standout, especially given the challenges some of its competitors are having with 5G. T-Mobile shares up 10.5%. And Hershey shares hitting an all-time high after beating earnings and forecasting full-year profit above estimates. That's thanks to price hikes, offsetting inflation in commodities like sugar, wheat, and soy. HSY is up 3.5%. And by the way, on Closing Bell, 3 p.m. Eastern time, they have an exclusive interview with CEO Michelle Buck of Hershey. And as if companies didn't have enough to deal with this earnings season, the strong dollar has been a headwind cited by everyone from Netflix to Ralph Lauren to Abbott. But some relief may be on the way thanks to foreign central banks. Rick Santelli here now with the details. Rick? Yes, Kelly, the runway just got much shorter if you were looking for the ECB to begin removing stimulus in earnest in 2023. The markets and other central banks, well, the pressure seems to have gotten to them. If you look at their yields, they pop. But more importantly, it looks as though there's been a big pivot. Look at an intraday of the euro versus dollar. Boy, did it pop. And remember, look at the same chart of the dollar index. It's the same chart in reverse as the dollar drops. Why? Because the euro equals almost 58% of the dollar index. Now, let's look at a three-week of the euro versus dollar because it's on pace to close for the highest level against the dollar in three weeks. But if you zoom the chart back, to the November of last year, you can see how close we are to testing levels we haven't seen since pre-Thanksgiving. And it may get much more aggressive than this because at the current pace, there might be an air pocket over the next several plus sessions to get that euro currency all the way up to the 116 level. And finally, if we look at the dollar index for that same period going back to November, we can see how vulnerable that may be down to 95, if not 94. So we'll have to monitor and definitely see if those same companies are as happy when the dollar weakens. I have my doubts, Kelly. Back to you. <laughs> Fair enough. Rick, thank you very much. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. U.S. officials say that they have intelligence on a Russian scheme to create a pretext for an invasion of Ukraine. NBC News quotes a Western intelligence official as saying Russia has plans to release a fake video to accuse Ukraine of genocide against Russian-speaking people in its country. The release of the intelligence by the U.S. is designed to deny Russia the opportunity to actually carry out that plan. And on the news tonight, Russia's latest response to the crisis on the border with Ukraine. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Washington says that one of the helicopters involved in the attack on the leader of ISIS had a mechanical failure. Officials say that it needed to be moved and destroyed. Debris of a destroyed U.S. helicopter was seen in northwestern Syria. The U.S. says, however, there were no American casualties in the raid. And Sarah Palin back in court for her libel lawsuit against The New York Times. The trial was delayed for more than a week after she tested positive for COVID. Palin was seen entering the courthouse, as we can see in this video, without wearing a mask. 
Kelly. Hopefully she is now negative. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Still ahead, did Facebook set the tone for Amazon and Snap? We'll get the answer after the bell. Ford is also on deck with earnings, and the stock's future could come down to one key thing. We have the action, the story, and the trade on all three of these names. And earnings exchange next. Welcome back, everybody, and let's brace ourselves for the next round of earnings on tap with Amazon tonight. In another edition of Earnings Exchange, we've got the action, the story, and the trade on Amazon, on Snap, and on Ford today. So let's start with the big kahuna here. Amazon's already down 6.5% today. They report after the bell. E-commerce names have not been a bright spot already this quarter, but the enterprise cloud side of things looking a little stronger. Shares are down about 15% this year, but they've basically gone nowhere for 18 months. Joining us with the story on Amazon is our own Dear Drabosa and Matt Maley, the chief market strategist at Miller Tabak, is here to give us our trades today. Welcome, guys. Deirdre, man, what are we looking for? <laughs> Oh, where do I even start, Kelly? What an earnings season it has been. Um, this was an idea floated by Josh Brown a few hours ago on CNBC. He said maybe look to a Starbucks instead of a mega cap to figure out how Amazon is going to do. Because Andy Jassy, the CEO, has already warned that there's going to be uh, labor issues, supply chain issues, and that is certainly weighing on costs. Amazon is already sort of the least profitable of the mega cap names. We know that it's spending a ton on logistics, and now there's costs outside of its control. On the bright side, though, Kelly, you did mention cloud, AWS, uh, still growing at a fast clip and uh, by far and away the leader in this category ahead of Azure and well, well ahead of Google's cloud unit. We saw good results there, so that will likely trickle through. Advertising is another one to watch. How much have we talked about Meta today, Kelly? Right. Uh, what hurt Meta is actually likely to benefit Amazon's ad business because it has more access to first-party data like Google does that helped that company. Great point. All right, Matt, what do you do with the stock here? Yeah, I mean, this, as you mentioned, it's, the stock has been dead, dead money for 18 months. And the, the problem, or see, the concern is on the stock itself, but it's good news for the long term, is that uh, uh, Mr. Jassy, along with uh, Jeff Bezos for many years, uh, they don't really care about the short-term earnings. They care about the long-term earnings and the long-term viability or long-term domination of the company. Uh, so, uh, so you get a little bit concerned that they, that they, they really don't care if, if their earnings fall a little bit short. If, if you don't like it, sell the stock. And nobody should sell the stock on a long-term basis. So the, the, the big thing I'll be watching for is margins. You know, they spent a lot of money last year uh, in 2021 uh, on infrastructure. So to uh, get, you know, take their costs down. If this is something can, that can uh, improve in the next, uh, you know, it, it's going to help them improve their margins. But the question is, does it happen now or does it happen down the road? If it doesn't happen now, it's going to have some problems for, for the stock. And, of course, we've had so many good numbers out of the uh, the. Uh, uh, you know, the technology area. Now we have Meta with a bad number. If we follow that with another one with Amazon, it's going to take a little bit of confidence out of the market. So it's, it's going to be an important number, but watch those margins. I think that's going to be key. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is if investors, you know, believe in the long-term vision, then that doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth ride, nor has it had been historically, but that that's what they should hold, uh, hang their hats yeah. on. You still want to own the stock. Deirdre, you know, when we talk about the labor issues that they might have, it would seem to me that, I mean, not that we would hear about Amazon warehouses being closed, but right. if anything, it sounds like they've been soaking up a lot of the workforce. I, I personally know people who have kind of been reallocated to warehouse jobs and, and kind of taken out of other sectors. So I wonder if that yeah. does help them navigate these challenges. But, but as we know, earnings are up for sure. We 
Yeah, and I would say, Kelly, over the last few years amid the pandemic, we have seen Amazon be particularly effective in sort of this battle for labor. They offer things like $3,000 starting bonuses, higher pay, some of those incentives and benefits. Uh, the question is, I suppose, was it disrupted particularly by the Omicron variant? Maybe that shows up next quarter, but you saw that from, start from Starbucks as well. You had more employees calling in sick. How did that affect Amazon's logistics and their labor force, which is now right Right? It's it, for the whole company. It's the second largest private employer in the company, in the in the country, excuse me. Uh, and also, I mean, of course, guidance. Right. That's what this earnings season is all about. So what does Andy Jassy say going forward? Amazon actually does give one quarter guidance ahead versus, you know, a Google that doesn't. Right. And Alphabet, I, I rather. think with Microsoft, they actually initially had the stock go down on the cloud business until their guidance said that it had picked up in this quarter for Amazon Web Services. It's uh, revenue expected to grow 36% to 17.4 billion. It feels like if they can get that right, maybe everything else will be forgiven. <laughs> but we'll see. Deirdre, thank you. We appreciate it. Deirdre Bosa, as I mentioned, Amazon shares down 6.5% this afternoon. But Snap's worse. It's down 21% after the other social and tech names have been crushed after Meta's big miss. Uh, it's nearly 50% lower just to start the year. Julia Borston, what is the story here? Well, you know what we really should be talking about is what happened in the third quarter results that has sent that stock down so much since then, because it is those same concerns that are weighing on the stock today. And really, you know, concerns, of course, that what hurt Meta will also hurt Snap. And there are three things I want to point out here. First, the fact that revenue is the most important thing. It was revenue growth that fell short of expectations in the third quarter. And the question is, will that trend continue or can revenue start revving up again? Uh, and how well is Snap doing it navigating those Apple operating system headwinds? The second key thing is user growth. User growth was actually better than expected in the third quarter. Can they maintain that momentum after Meta and Facebook in particular showed slowing growth and actually decline in daily active users in the U.S.? And then the third thing is commentary on competition. Facebook, uh, Meta Facebook called out competition with TikTok a number of times on the earnings call. And the fact that they specifically pinpointed TikTok did not pinpoint Snap, you have to wonder whether Snap is also seeing those competitive pressures from TikTok as well. Yeah, and Matt, you think it's still not cheap enough? Exactly. I mean, these two issues that Julia has mentioned are so important with the Apple uh, and with TikTok. The, the, the TikTok is just killing them with with the younger people, especially teenagers, and which had been a you know a big a, you know big um, you know market for them. And the the thing is, the stock, even though it's much cheaper than it was, I mean, not only is it down fifty percent, as Julia referred to, it's, it's down almost seventy five percent just you know since September. And you see, you think, well, geez, the stock must be really cheap, but it's still trading at 76 times forward earnings. Wow. And I think it needs to get down, you know, in the 50 to 60 times earnings range uh, before it really becomes something uh, uh, that's really attractive, especially with these uh, two headwinds on these, in these two areas. That multiple really does sum it up. Even with the declines today, we're still talking about 72 times. Uh, don't miss a snap. Uh, snap CEO Evan Spiegel live in an exclusive CNBC interview tomorrow morning on Tech Check. Julia, we very much look forward to that. Our Julia Borston. And finally, Ford coming off a monster year where where it surged about 140% thanks to that turnaround plan from CEO Jim Farley and its push into EVs. Philibo following this one. Hopefully this one, Phil, won't take the whole market with it, whichever direction it goes. 
Well, the numbers are not really going to be the focus for investors. Look, we expect them to earn 45 cents a share. That's the consensus that's out there. Unless it's wildly off from that number, which is not expected, the focus is really what the company says regarding its EV plan. And remember, this is so much of what's been driving Ford shares higher. And along those lines, Kelly, I think people want to get some sense of as Ford starts ramping up production are things on schedule. We know the F-150 Lightning delivery start in the second quarter. We know that they have increased the amount of production that they have planned over the next year and a half. Will they make an announcement about greater investment? Remember, that story has floated out there over the last couple of days. So that's really going to be the focus after the bell. All right. Matt, are you a buyer? You know what? The key thing I'm going to be looking at uh, is, is Phil talked about with uh, this whole new change and new concentration uh, or emphasis, I should say, on EV. What is this going to mean for for, for their uh, uh, for their tr- their pickup trucks? I mean, that's where they make all their money. The margins are huge. Are the margins? I mean, how yep. much? You know, the battery costs a lot. How much are the margins going to be in those new vehicles? Uh, but the other thing to look at is, uh, you know, I, I always look. look like to look at the charts and the stock has come down well off its highs it's kind of been bouncing around lately if it can break above its uh, 50-day moving average after this report that's at 21 dollars. it's going to be very bullish if it breaks below its recent lows which it just tested a couple times 19 dollars is going to be very bearish so right. you break out of that range one way or the other that's going to be the key for the stock those, over the near term those are your levels to watch if you wanted a lower pe it's at less than 10 times even after last year's monster year guys we'll leave it there matt thank you so much matt maley with our trades today and phil LeBeau reporting on ford coming up why the major winter storm descending on texas could become a huge test for the crypto mining industry that story straight ahead with bitcoin down about one and a half percent we're back in a moment Texas is bracing for bitter cold temperatures as a major storm descends on the state. It's going to feel like 11 degrees in El Paso tonight, where it's about 19. Crypto miners are stepping in and powering down to help alleviate some of the pressure on the power grid. CNBC's Mackenzie Sigalos joins me now with more Mackenzie. So they're trying to help? Yes, they are. So since Tuesday, crypto miners across the state have been shutting off their machines in order to ease the burden on ERCOT, which is the name of the Texas power grid. The chief concern here is that, you know, we might see a repeat of what happened in February of last year when 10 million Texans lost power. To try to prevent that from happening, Riot Blockchain has already cut their power consumption by around 99 percent. And I've heard from multiple other Texas miners that, you know, they're doing the same thing. Some plan to react in real time, meaning that if ERCOT tells them to power down, they will cut off their machines within minutes. This is a major test for the industry to see if the narrative that Bitcoin miners are actually good for stabilizing the grid is true. And so far, it does appear to be working. ERCOT's website shows grid demand in real time. And as of now, they say there is enough power for current demand. Kelly? I mean, as much as I applaud their efforts, couldn't they lose a lot of money doing this? Are they being compensated somehow? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So miners are technically losing money every second that their machines are offline, which is why the Texas grid actually pays these miners a premium to cut power. And the question that always comes up, Kelly, is why does ERCOT even need additional demand on the grid anyway? And the answer is that flexible energy buyers like crypto miners are really useful when there is very little demand for electricity, like at night. Basically, having more miners and having more flexible buyers helps to even out supply and demand so that you don't see electricity prices either surge or go negative. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what does it all mean for the price of Bitcoin itself if the mining behavior is affected for this stretch? 
you know, it actually probably doesn't mean much. The supply delta from changing the pace of mining is typically minimal. I mean, just look at what happened in Kazakhstan a couple weeks ago. It is one of the biggest Bitcoin mining destinations on the planet. And amid political turmoil, miners across the country went totally offline and it didn't do much to the price of Bitcoin. But as for those crypto miners, Riot Blockchain and Marathon Digital are down by more than 4% today, and both are 34% lower so far this year. True. And that's a point to watch uh, if they continue to, to feel this stress. Mackenzie, thanks so much. It's fascinating. We appreciate it. Mackenzie Sagalos, to read her full story, head over to CNBC.com. Coming up, Facebook is the second bank stock to drop 20% or more this year, putting renewed pressure on the tech-heavy Nasdaq. Is this a short-lived setback, or is there more pain ahead for the index? That's next. And during February, we're celebrating Black History and featuring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Greg Branch with his advice for future leaders. I like to remind our current and future leaders during Black History Month those of you who have broken down barriers and shattered ceilings and kicked down doors, is that the community needs you to stay vocal, visible, and involved. Your very example can help broaden horizons and aspirations. Hearing how you got there can help engender the motivation and discipline needed to take advantage of today's and tomorrow's opportunities. Welcome back, everybody. Markets are broadly lower. The Nasdaq down 2.5% after Meta's huge earnings miss. The stock itself is down about 25%. A similar drop to Netflix's decline on earnings last month. My next guest says these stocks are under attack but likes the lower valuations. Joining me now is Alan Boomer, CEO of Momentum Advisors. Alan, welcome. All right, which in particular do you want to be a buyer of here? So first of all, thanks for having me. You know, I look at a day like today where you, you see Facebook, Meta, I should say, down a bunch. And I just think about a, a great business trading at a really low price. I mean, when you think about their earnings, revenue actually beat. It's the expenses that were a little higher. And so the earnings were not as good. And clearly the guidance on earnings moving forward wasn't as good. But I see a stock trading at 17 times earnings now that I think is really investing in the future. And I, I love Meta down at these prices for sure. But isn't the stock a little trapped in the sense that it, it reminds me of any maturing company where they can just kind of settle into a strong earning, uh, you know, capital return kind of stock, or they can try to invest in order to get back to those high growth days where they get a higher multiple and they might have stronger annual performance. Don't they have to pick one of those two camps? If they try to sit in the middle, won't they just be penalized with a low P.E., but not the growth and, and not the shareholder performance in the long run? I think you brought up a great perspective. You know, for sure, being in the middle, you know, is not, not a good place to be. But I'll tell you, I still view Meta as a growth company. And what do growth companies do? They reinvest their profits into the future. They, they invest in in innovation. And, and I think Meta's really been at the forefront of an innovation in a lot of ways. I think in other ways they're, they're playing catch up. Um, you know, but I, I think a stock like Meta, which I still think is the, the ultimate advertising platform between uh, the Facebook uh, site and the Instagram site, I think these are incredible businesses. I think the Reels business has a lot of potential as well. 
Um, you know, so I, I, I like the, the fact that I could buy a great company at a really low valuation. I think in the long run, they will benefit from the investments they're making in, in things like the metaverse. So what else in Fang are you kind of kind of sniffing around at? Well, you know, what's funny, it's like you got to be careful sniff, sniffing around the fangs at all right now. Right. You talk about a sector rotation. That's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing growth going you know, south and we're seeing value going north. We're seeing folks now looking at these old line companies that trade at low valuations that pay big dividends and saying, look, why wouldn't we want to own these? Why would we ever think about owning these growth stocks? And so you've got to be careful with the fangs right now if you're worried about what happens tomorrow. Like I, I, I look at a stock like Meta. I think it's going to go lower before it goes higher. I look at Netflix, which has you know, gotten clobbered. I think it's a great business. I think it's also a, a great time to buy. Um, I, I like the fangs. I just think that right now it's kind of like they're losing the beauty contest at the moment. Okay. So if, you, if someone were said to you, and it's interesting, if you look on Wall Street Bets today, they're basically seeing huge retail interest in buying Meta here. Do you think that's prudent? I do. I'm, I'm surprised that there's huge retail interest, right? Because often folks on the retail side do the opposite. They, they see a stock selling off and they start selling. I think it's a smart thing to do this time. I, you know, again, I think it may go lower. So you may regret it in the short run. But I think in the long run, a stock like Meta is going to double. It's just a matter of how long does it take for that to happen? And is it a smooth ride or a bumpy run? I think it'll be bumpy. Well, I, I think people who are in it today have a better shot than maybe the ones yesterday at, at getting that getting that double in the near term. Alan, thanks so much. It's great to get your perspective today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Alan Boomer with Momentum Advisors. Coming up, home seller profits are sitting at the highest level since 2008. And that's not the only metric showing soaring housing wealth. We have the staggering numbers next. As we had to break a quick look at the home builder stocks, they're not seeing the wealth so much. Down across the board with tolls seeing the biggest declines, about 2.2%. We're back in a moment. The stunning surge in home prices over the course of the pandemic has given homeowners record amounts of housing wealth. Diana Olick is here to break down the numbers for us. Diana? Well, Kelly, we just got some updated numbers that look at housing wealth from two different perspectives. First, home seller profits. Now, the profit on a typical sale last year was just over $94,000, and that's up 45% from the profit in 2020 and up 71% from pre-pandemic profits. And it was across the vast majority of local housing markets, that according to Adam Data. That is the highest profit level since 2008, which was the last housing boom. That, of course, was built on faulty mortgages and homeowners with little to no equity. That is not the case now. And that's the second part of this. Home equity is soaring. About 42% of homeowners were considered equity rich at the end of last year. That is, their mortgage was half or less than half of the value of their home. That's up from just 30% of equity rich homeowners at the end of 2020. Nine of the top 10 equity rich states were in the West, starting with Idaho, Utah, Washington, Arizona, and then the outlier, Vermont. Now, how much equity? Well, the amount of tappable equity grew by $2.6 trillion last year to a total of $9.9 trillion, according to an exclusive advanced look at Black Knight's mortgage monitor. That's a 35% jump in a single year. The average homeowner now has $185,000 in tappable equity. So what does that all mean for the overall economy? 
a lot of potential spending power should these consumers decide to use all that wealth, Kelly. Okay, so very interesting. We saw in the housing bubble, people using their homes as ATMs, but more through leverage and some dicey situations. What about now? Should we expect to see a boom in cash outs? Well, we are actually seeing a huge increase, the largest in 14 years, actually, in cash outs on equity. But, and I say a really large caveat to this, you must keep 20% equity in your home. That was not the case in the last housing boom. So when I talk about tappable equity, that's the amount you can take out over and above that 20% equity. You still must have skin in the game now. Mortgage lending is a lot more strict than it was back then. Kelly. And of course, as you pointed out as well, the flip side of this is good luck trying to get into this housing market. <laughs> well, there's that, yeah. I mean, hopefully as we get more construction and prices level off a little bit with rising mortgage rates, we'll start to be able to see more people able to get in. But you, you hit the nail on the head. It's very hard to get into this housing market because it is just so pricey. Yeah, those numbers are humongous. Diana, thanks for bringing that to us. We appreciate it. Diana Olek. And that does it for The Exchange today, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.